Hello and welcome to European Pharmaceutical Reviews podcast, supported by BioMariu. In this, the last episode of our Advanced Therapy Medicinal Products ATMPs series, we'll be discussing the future of cell and gene therapies and what challenges their development may bring. I'm once again joined by Jérôme Lagaro, Director of the Department of Biotherapies and the Miri Centre for Cell and Gene Therapy in the Hospital San Luis APHP and Julian Textoris, Vice President of Global Medical Affairs, Immunoassays and Host Response at BioMeriu. My name is Hannah Balfour, I'm the Assistant Editor of European Pharmaceutical Review, and I will be your host today. As much as 2021 was plagued by COVID-19, some are calling it the year of cell and gene therapy. With these personalised and highly targeted therapies offering so much therapeutic promise, what might the future bring? And what challenges do such advanced therapeutics present for both the biopharmaceutical and healthcare industries? Hi, Jerome and Julian. Thank you for joining me again today. In our last episode, you both discussed the importance of collaboration in developing cell and gene therapies and the processes and quality controls that support their manufacture and clinical development. We also explored some of the challenges associated with these critical steps. Here, we'll discuss what makes these challenges worth overcoming and what the future holds for these innovative therapies. So, to start off with, there's been a lot of discussion about the potential of creating allogeneic products. And so far, there are five approved autologous chimeric antigen receptor T cell therapies, but no allogeneic ones. Could you first outline simply what the differences are between autologous and allogeneic products? Well, the first very simple difference came from the donor of the starting material, so the donor of the cell. In the autologous situation, the donor is the patient by itself. In the allogeneic situation, we will take the cells from what we call healthy donors, produce the drug product and inject this drug product to the recipient who is the patient. So in the autologous situation, you produce a drug that came from the patient itself. In the allogeneic situation, you inject a product that has been prepared from cells that came from an other donor. So very simply, the main difference on an immunological point of view, at least, is that in autologous situation, you will not reject the cells because these are your own cells. The risk with the allogeneic situation is that the patient rejects at the end the cells that came from another donor. Hi, Jerome. So why would we want to take that risk to have uh, immune rejection of the cells that we will uh, transplant? What, what would be the benefit to go to allogenic CAR T cells? Well, one of the main benefits is that you have to imagine that in the autologous situation, you have to produce one batch for one patient. So on a pharmaceutical point of view and on a manufacturing point of view, of course, this is much more easier 
that you will be able to produce a lot of batches from one, two or ten different healthy donors and you will be able to have your drug product, what we call on the shelf and immediately at disposition for the different patient. In the autologous situation, you produce one batch for one patient, so it is much more difficult on an organizational point of view, much more difficult to address on a manufacturing point of view, and you may as well imagine that the reproducibility of the drug by itself is much more easy to get when you start from only one donor rather than when you start from many different patient cells, giving the fact that these patient cells may be slightly different from a patient to another. Another way of thinking is to take into consideration that for the moment, in the autologous situation, the question arose of the timing at which you will harvest the cells that will be used for the car manufacturing. Of course, it is clearly likely better to harvest the cells early in the development of the disease rather than after one line, two line, three line, six lines of chemotherapy and or radiotherapy. So to date, there are a lot of work that showed that it should be better to harvest the cells at the beginning of the, of the disease rather than after many lines of treatments. That's very clear. Thank you. So I imagine that we have a lot of research in that area trying to develop some allergenic uh, CAR T cells. Yes, uh, there is a lot of development and we m should not forget that to date, allocarti are not used for the same indications than autologous carti. What I want to say is that in the autologous situation, we expect the carti to cure the disease. In the allogenic situation, again, at least for the allocarti used to date, the therapeutic indication is slightly different because we know that this CAR-T will be rejected by the patient. So we do not really expect that the CAR-T will cure the disease, but we use them much more as what we call a bridging therapy, thus to try to get the disease treated and then to go, as an example, to an allogenic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. So the indications to date are slightly different. Coming back to your comment, yes, there are a lot, of course, of research, innovative strategies. One of these main fields of research being, of course, to try to engineer this allocality in order that they will not be rejected by the patient in whom they are injected. 
That's very interesting. So do we have some differences in terms of quality control during the manufacturing and maybe uh, relative to your last point in order to really select or engineer the cells in order that they would be uh, less rejected or not rejected? I would say that these are two different questions. On a quality control point of view, there are not so much differences because you are producing a drug and you are producing a CAR T. This CAR T has to be controlled either on the drug product point of view, but as well for in process control and as well for all the consumables, starting materials, reagents that will be used during the manufacturing. So the QC by themselves are not so much different between allogenic and autologous situation. We must keep in mind, besides that, that of course, when you state that in the autologous situation, one batch is for one patient, you of course have much more quality control to perform than when you produced an allocarty for 100 or 1000 patients, for which you will have one QC to be performed for release a lot for 1,000 patients. When you say that there is a lot of research on allocarty to try to construct them differently in order that they will not be rejected, of course, there will be much more QC to be performed. If you are not producing only a CAR-T, but a CAR-T in which you gene modify again the cells with over gene modification because you will knock down a gene or express IL-2 as an example. So there will be likely more QC to perform. But if we take the situation to date, in my opinion, there are not so much differences in terms of QC between allo and autologous CAR T-cell manufacturing. I would say the, the main difference is much more the qualification of the donor based on the fact that, at least for European regulation, you have qualification of the donor in the autologous situation in which you have some serological markers to identify it. And these serological markers are more important in the allogenic situation. But besides this very specific point, I would not say that there are huge differences between the manufacturing of allo or autologous CAR T cells. Thank you, Jerome. Another key area of interest for many industry stakeholders is whether the success of CAR T-cell therapies for hematological cancers can also be translated to solid tumours. So considering that so far there are five autologous CAR T commercialised products for hematological cancers, how close are we to actually having these products for solid cancer care? Yeah, this is, of course, a very important question that is addressed since the beginning of the CART story. There are a lot of research in this field and a lot of hurdles to overcome. The first one we may think about are, of course, the different targets that should be identified on tumor cells. This is, of course, uh, one of the main issues. 
The second issue may be more important than the target by themselves is the difference we have to face between a solid tumors and its microenvironment and a liquid tumor like the hematological malignancies. And I would say that to date, the reason why there are not so encouraging results in the use of CAR-T for solid tumors is mainly due to this problem of microenvironment of the solid tumors. Do you think that these challenges may lead this area to maybe imagine to combine various similar therapies such as, you know, CAR-Ts and checkpoint inhibitors or something like that? Absolutely, Julian. This is a, a very interesting question. I would say that there are many fields of research to better understand how CAR in general could be of help in treated solid tumors. The problem of the immunosuppressive microenvironment is that it prevents CAR-T infiltration, firstly, and effective killing of the cells. So you are perfectly right. One way to try to overcome this problem is either to have CAR-T directed not only against one target, but maybe to try to generate CAR-T against two or three different targets. Another way of thinking being, as you state, to generate CAR-T, specifically construct again one target, but in which you will add as well the capacity to overcome the immunosuppressive environment. And this capacity could be by the engineered CAR-T by itself, in which you add, as an example, the capacity to secrete high level of interleukin, in which you had the capacity to deal with some PD-1, PD-L1 pathways, as an example. And another way of research is actually to use CAR-T with other immunotherapists and to combine these different approaches. So there are many fields of research in this field of CAR-T cells and solid tumors. Maybe I will add third, or fourth, or fifth way of developing some research in this field is that there are as well development in other cells than CAR T cells. And you are maybe aware about some development related to the use of CAR NK or CAR macrophage that should be very interested in the specific field of solid tumors treatment. So I understand that we are not there yet for solid tumors. Uh, in your opinion, what may be you know, the first type of cancer where we could see breakthrough for that area? Difficult question. <laughs> I would say that for the moment, the main clinical trials that have been run in this field are related to I would say gastric and colon cancers, pancreatic cancers, breast cancers, lung cancers, and more specifically, maybe on melanoma. Some have tried the use of CAR-T 
in glioblastoma as an example with not so much encouraging results, but again, not so much because it was the first or second generation of CAR-T. But it's very difficult to answer your question because there are many clinical trials in many solid tumors using many different targets. And it is clear that the research must go forward Again, either to try to isolate more specific targets and, at least in my opinion, maybe much more to address the problem of this immunosuppressive microenvironment. Great. Thank you. And aside from solid tumours, what other diseases have cell and gene therapies shown promise in? Well, a lot of disease. And this is very, very interesting to see that cell and gene therapies open the mind not only uh, for hematological malignancies, but over hematological diseases. This is the case as an example for sickle cell disease, for which some patients are treated with gene therapy. But this is as well the case for other diseases than hematological diseases. And there are now some clinical trials using gene therapy approaches, as an example, for neurological diseases with very nice results. So it is clear that this is a field that began in 1950, 1960 with hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. We have lived during decades with hematological transplantation, and this is, of course, very nice. And now we see that cell and gene therapy are opening this field of research and this field of therapeutic indication in other diseases than only hematology. So, Jerome, I see that there are a lot of innovation around cell and gene therapy. Do you think that there is an impact of the COVID-19 pandemics on the innovation track? Very interesting question, Julian. My answer will be slightly different. Or I would say that COVID do not really impact innovation by itself. But COVID impacts our organization and the treatment of some of our patients. I give a few explanations. On a, an hospital point of view and on a treatment point of view, COVID, as you are well aware, impact our organization. And if we take as an example the CAR-T activity and the CAR-T situation, at least in France, but I think this is exactly the same in other countries, we inject a patient with CAR-T cells in hematological wards but we aim at being able to have a bed in an ICU. Of course, the ICU to date faces the problem of hospitalization of COVID patients. So it can be an issue we have to face during a COVID pandemic. And overthinking is related much more to the manufacturing and the pharmaceutical point of view, I would say. We face problems to have access to consumables, to reagents, because of the COVID situation. I would say every day have problems to be supplied with these consumables, with these raw materials, with these reagents. 
And this can be a problem to manufacture these cells and gene therapies. Yeah, indeed. And I can confirm that we are facing, like any industry, the consequences of a shortage of supplies, for example, for PCs, because PCs are everywhere. And, and yes, it can impact the manufacturing of products, uh, of course. Absolutely. I have one question for you, Jerome, and that is, what excites you most about the field of cell and gene therapies? What gets you to the hospital every day? Well, the first exciting situation is, of course, I would say the benefit the patient can have from the CAR-Ts because this is something that has been a revolution in the way we, we took in charge of these patients. Of course, and unfortunately, CAR-T didn't cure all the patients, but it cures some of our patients for which we do not have any other possibility of treatment. So it, it has been and it's, it is still a revolution in hematological diseases. The second point, and we've discussed it, is this is a very exciting field of research and innovation. Of course, we all treat the patient with third-generation CAR-T, but there will be a fourth, a fifth, a sixth generation of CAR-T. And as we discussed as well, we are to date maybe much more focused to hematological diseases, but of course, we as well wait, encouraging results in other fields. We've discussed solid tumors, but this is the case as well in autoimmune diseases, in which there are some CAR T clinical trials. This is the case in infectious diseases. This is the case in transplantation, organ transplantation as well. There are a lot of work in the use of CAR T regs in the transplantation field. So there are many, many possibilities of fundamental research, of clinical research, and of course, this is very exciting. Jérôme, I think it's fascinating to see all the interaction and interplay between all these uh, therapeutical tools that, that we have today. Do you think that from a medical standpoint, these new therapies will also change the way we see uh, the different phases of treatment? You mentioned, for example, that chemotherapy might have an impact on the quality of the cells that we will harvest. So may we face in the future that we position these therapies earlier in the care pathway? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is a very interesting comment. This is the case to date. Clearly, we've begun the CAR-T story for a refractory, relapsing patient in third or fourth lines of therapy. And there are now clinical trials, which has just been published as an example in a lymphoma patients for which CAR-T cells have been used in second lines of treatment. So clearly, you are right, we will treat patients earlier in the development of their disease. Another comment I would say is that it is clear as well that cell and gene therapy address the question of how the economical system in its globality will be able to face this arrival of new cell and gene therapy, 
considering the cost of this new drug product. So, of course, the question was not so important when we treated one or two patients a month. The question is completely different now when we treat 15, 20, 30 patients a month in one hospital based on the cost of these, of these new drugs. So there are many questions that have to be addressed beside, of course, the exciting clinical application of these new therapies. And this is very important indeed, but I thought that there were some data on cost-effectiveness of CAR T-cells, aren't they? There are some data that have tried to evaluate the cost-effectiveness of the CAR T based on the idea that the CAR T cost X, that treating a patient without the CAR T cost Y, the gain in life with the CAR-T is this one, while with other treatment, this is this one. And a very interesting uh, question has been raised is, should we consider the reimbursement of these new drugs exactly as for any chemical drug or more classical drug, I would say? And this is a very interesting question. Should we pay as an example, 300,000 the injection of a CAR T? Or should we imagine that we will pay such an amount if the CAR T give good results? So this is a, a new way of thinking the, the health system and the capacity of the countries to have this drug in hands and to make the balance between the cost and the effectiveness of a drug by itself. And so this is very interesting. It means that in case of failure, the cost would be supported both by the manufacturer and the hospital treating the patient, right? This is absolutely right, at least in France, as an example. We pay the CAR-T if the CAR-T gave effective results. We do not pay if the patient is non-responder. Okay. And so going into that and integrating the whole healthcare system, indeed, we understand that probably going towards allogenic CAR-Ts or trying to improve all the manufacturing process, reducing the cost of manufacturing will be key if we want to be able to deploy this widely. Yes, you are absolutely right. And coming back to the beginning of our discussion, of course, your comment is of importance when you imagine that to date in a country like in France, we have treated roughly 1,000 patients with CAR-T. If you imagine that CAR-T are efficient in solid tumors, we will not face 1,000 or we will not treat 1,000 patients in three, four or five years, but much more patients. So the question of reducing the cost, of course, is of importance. And the question of what about allogenic CAR-T is, of course, of importance as well, because you may expect that producing one allogenic CAR-T for 100 or 1,000 patients will reduce the cost compared to uh, producing 
1,000 different CAR T or 1,000 batch in uh, the autologous situation. So there are more and more research as well in the field of how we can manufacture this CAR T with cost reduction by using, as an example, new technologies or new equipments. There are as well development of research based on the fact that maybe we should not produce CAR-T during 12 or 14 days after a CAR-T expansion, but maybe it's more interesting to produce a CAR-T in 24 or 72 hours and to inject the CAR-T for an in vivo expansion rather than an ex vivo expansion. And then you gain eight, nine, ten days of expansion, of ex vivo expansion, and then you gain, of course, in cost reduction. And if you go further to this way of thinking, others are to date thinking about in vivo CAR-T. And this way, you imagine that you will directly inject into patients a sort of uh, ready-to-use kit that will produce in vivo the CAR T cells of the CAR cells. That is absolutely fascinating and quite amazing to think that we could one day do it completely within the body. But unfortunately, that's all we have time to discuss today. So thank you, Jerome and Julian, for joining us both for this episode and the previous one. It was fantastic to hear more about the potential future of cell and gene therapies and particularly your insights into the development of treatments for solid tumours, as well as allogeneic products. On behalf of European Pharmaceutical Review, Biomeriu, Jérôme Lagaro, and Julian Textoris, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us for our next episode.